Uh, that I don't care if we lose the rest of the games this year, which is only two. If we just beat Iowa, it'll just feel a little bit sweeter. But yeah. That's true. That's true. Are we turning into like Ohio State and Michigan fans who say they could go 0-11 every year as long as they beat either Ohio State or Michigan at the end of the year? Are we turning into that fan? God, I hope not. No, Iowa just sucks. <laughs> Two generations. One passion. This is Generation Red. Welcome back, Husker fans, to another episode of Generation Red, the kettle corn of Husker fan podcast where we try to be sweet, but at times we get salty. It's your favorite father and son duo yet once again. I know we've been gone for a week, but we have fairly good reason, we think, so we appreciate your patience in waiting for this episode to come out. And uh, before we get started, one of the reasons we haven't been able to record was... uh, Back on October 25th, early in the morning, we lost um, my wife's mom, my mother-in-law, and of course, Scott's grandma. Uh, She passed away in her sleep, peacefully, as she always wanted to. And uh, yeah, we had a funeral then that week. And um, as you can hear, I caught a little bit of a bug, that same bug that everybody's been scared of for the last couple of years. And let me tell you, folks... It ain't nothing to mess with. It's kicked my tail all over the place for the last week and a half, but here I am. I'm back. I'm glad to be recording. Scott and I have missed hanging out and talking to you guys, so we hope you extend us a little bit of grace for the snot locker sounds you're going to hear from me as well as the cough or two that I might not be able to edit out. So um, anyway, we want to dedicate this episode to mom, uh, grandma, honeycut, and uh, we're going to do our very best to make it be bleep free. Anyway, I'm your host. <laughs> Only a little late for this. My name is Ken. Yes, and my name is Scott. Um yeah, it's a it was definitely kind of out of the blue. We weren't really prepared or expecting it other than just knowing that grandma wasn't feeling her best for a few days and just kind of tired and wanted mm-hmm. to just hang out and not really do her normal routine. So, um, yeah, there's going to be some editing of, of dad's coughs and, and we're going to be off our game a little bit here. We, because we kind of skipped over Purdue and then just because of me being on call this last week and honestly, just seriously being beat down with how this season has, unfolded um it's very difficult for me at the moment to really give a bunch of effort into this right now um not to say that i don't want to do it it's just that like what in the world can i say what can i do what can i what can i try and analyze that can make anything make sense but on a positive note 
um, we have some answers, at least to uh, foreseen some answers to Nebraska football as a program. And hopefully moving forward with uh, the rest of this season um, and then moving into the off season and preparing for 2022, we might be able to see some changes that we've been desperately trying to see, not necessarily on the defensive side, obviously the offensive side of the ball, but yes, this, this episode is dedicated to my grandma. I will surely miss her. Um, She was a, a gem in my life, uh, was always praying for me, saw me at my best, saw me at my worst, and always t- always chose to look at the best parts of me, the best parts of my dad, the best parts of all of her kids, stepkids, um, or stepkids, uh, <laughs> in-laws, she doesn't have any stepkids, um, and just... Uh, she was just a, a perfect embodiment of what it means to be graceful, loving, kind, compassionate, and mm-hmm. it. She walked the walk, you know. She 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 was just a an outstanding woman, and she lived ninety one beautiful years. And I look forward to living my life in reflection of her. Um, cool. That's, that's just kind of how. I look at it, and uh, I guess just one thing I want to say is that, well, we wouldn't be here having this Mm -hmm. conversation right now. That's right. Talking about Husker football, if it wasn't for all of the (laughs) wonderful times that she has, uh, she's uh, provided for us and our family, and especially when it came to Husker football and watching games with grandpa and grandma and. Yep. It was just a it's just a an absolute joy to look back at the memories that I have and yep. now we have a podcast and and I think that no matter which way you look at it she played a big part in that um absolutely she did and always remember the popcorn and the chili and the hot soup or whatever we'd eat at halftime of games and things saltine like that. Saltine crackers. I'd never forget that. So, and the saltine crackers, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, anyway, we're going to go ahead. We're going to talk about uh, Ohio State a little bit tonight. Uh, it's not going to be nearly our crazy detailed breakdown that we usually do because there's been some big stuff happening in Lincoln uh, starting today, this morning. Uh, AD Trev Alberts announced uh, that Frost is back in 2022 with a restructured contract, which I just heard the details of that new contract on Sports Nightly tonight, where uh, Mr. Alberts said that Frost has taken a $1 million annual pay cut and also has cut his buyout in half. Should he have been fired after the 2022 season with his current deal before it was restructured, he would then do about $15 million. He's now willing to take half of that, which tells me he's putting his money where his mouth is when he says he lives, dies, and breathes uh, breathes this place. And uh, <laughs> true to form, he didn't mess around with making the changes uh, that I think A.D. Alberts said he never required him to make, but I have no doubt that it was implied that some things needed to change. So offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach Matt Lubick, offensive line coach Greg Austin, running backs coach Ryan Held, and recruiting coordinator, by the way, and quarterback coach Mario Verdusco, along with his Harry Potter glasses, were fired by Frost on Monday morning. 
Uh, so those were kind of a surprise. I thought Austin Held and Verduzco were probably going to be saying bye-bye, but Lubick was a surprise. And I know you thought that as well. Uh, though looking back, I don't know, maybe the identity that Scott Frost wants to go forward with in offense, uh, maybe that's just not where Lubick's head's at. So um, anyway, what are your thoughts on, on Lubick especially? I know we kind of talked about it before we recorded. So, and this is, this opinion is just based on what I saw on the field this year versus the three previous years of the Frost regime that I feel like the offensive changes that we've seen this year specifically where we went away from the bubble screens and specifically just screen yeah. screen schemes alike and changing our wide receiving routes and focusing more towards an option game, an option mix, uh, like mixing it up with some option. I always felt like that was a Matt Lubick blueprint. Um, that comes with a, uh, a disclaimer of ignorance because I don't know what Matt Lubick looked like before this year. I haven't taken the time to look up what he did, where he worked, what, what was his blueprint previous to coming here, but I always just assumed that that's what Matt Lubick brought to the table. I could be 100% wrong, and I apologize that I did not do any of this research, um, but that was my opinion, and so I was kind of shocked to see that he was one of the names on the list, and if I were to say anything this year that I've seen improve, uh, that would be our wide receiving core. Um, maybe it's not necessarily an improvement. It could just be raw talent. You know, I could get those two things mixed up really easily, especially when you have a, an outstanding talent in Samari Torre coming here. And obviously has nothing to do with Matt Lubick there. That's just previous talent being re, re, uh, repurposed for our scheme. So aside from Samari Torre, we have... Think, you have individuals like Xavier Betts, just raw talent. You've got Omar Manning, just raw talent. Um, mm -hmm. And then you've got Wyatt Lever and um, and Levi Falk. You've got Oliver Martin. You've got all those guys, and they've been playmakers. Um, maybe not to the degree at which we would say great, but they've they've done their part at at multiple moments. And I always assumed that that was because of lubit coming in here but in retrospect maybe it wasn't maybe it wasn't i don't know um but the other three firings i would say between the three of greg austin ryan held and mario verdusco i really felt like uh ryan held probably stands out as like the more shocking of the of the three um but at the same time what have we seen in the running back room aside from divina zigbo and a few yeah. shining moments from previous uh, running backs that we've had. Sure. Um, yeah, dude. Like, they really cleaned house. Well, it, it, this, to me, these firings, all four of them were specifically about player development. Yep. Because how much development have you seen in those incredible four-star athletes we've got all up and down that? Other than, other than um, Cameron Jurgens, 
other than him, there's really nothing going on in New L.A. God bless that guy. Talk about being a di diamond in the rough, and he finally got a scholarship. Uh, but this is about player development. I don't think Lubick developed the high caliber of talent that he had in that room like he should have. Hence, guys like Lewer and Falk were on the field because they're old reliable. When what you needed is dynamic and reliable to make this offense go. And those guys were on the bench a lot in key times in games because they couldn't trust them because, well, Lubick didn't develop them. Uh, Ryan Held's another example. Other than uh, Divino Zigbo, what has he really done here in the running backs room? Uh, it's been a rotating door of guys coming in out of the game. And then, of course, the fact that you've got a quarterback playing with a busted jaw and a high ankle sprain because Verduzco can't figure out that there's four other guys in the freaking room um, <laughs> tells me all I need to know about why he's out of here. And, of course, you know, it just is it, it just was the, it was a bad mixture of four guys that just didn't seem to figure out what it meant to develop players. They caught lightning in a bottle down in UCF. I really think so. I think they got an extremely talented offensive uh, group of players when they got there that already knew how to win, a lot of them. And they just kind of tanked the year before in 2016 on purpose because they wanted their coach out of there. And uh, then once Frosty came in and, and those guys were able to play in a system that was good for them, I think it made a big difference. Whereas coming here and trying to make that system work in the Big Ten – Hard to do that when you're used to making it work in either the Pac-12 or the AAC. So uh, I think you're going to see Frost. Well, shoot, let's talk about a couple of things here. Uh, do you think Frost finds permanent replacements for those coaches before the end of the year or even by the Wisconsin game? Or do you think he's just going to go with some interims between now and the end of the season? I think we might see a mixture of both. Um, I think in the t in the... Two positions, no. Positions that I'm thinking that are going to need to be permanent replacements would be probably quarterbacks coach, most likely offensive coordinator. I think that we could probably find a high caliber, brilliant, young mind or an old mind. I don't know. Some some high caliber guy that that looks at the potential of the Cornhuskers from some school somewhere and is looking at us and saying, wow, they are really close. I think that I could bring something to the table. That's, that's exactly sure. what they need. Um, so I think that permanent, we're going to need to find an offensive coordinator and probably a quarterback's coach. Whereas interim, I think that we could find an interim, uh, that might stay for, you know, the, obviously the rest of the season, but maybe until, the end of next season if if we can't get a good offensive lines coach or a good running okay. back running back coach um i i've been i just saw on reddit that um word on the street is that ron brown will take over the running backs position um i don't know i don't know that could end up being a permanent thing i don't know i really don't know um i think it'll probably be a mixture most likely I think the safe bet is that it'll be interim, like uh, across the board, and then permanent position rolling into 2022. They'll have the entire off season to do their interviews and all that fun jazz. So we'll just kind of have to see what they're thinking. I'm kind of right, right there with you. I think you're probably looking at some guys that, you know, like Ron Brown, for example, that has 
coached the position of running back at a high, high level under Pelini back in the day. And the last time Nebraska had a 1,000-yard rusher, uh, Ron Brown was his coach and taught those kids how to run angry, which something fun to watch, believe me. Uh, and then I think as far as, well, let's talk about the next question. That's kind of where I'm going is, does he, do you think Frost gives up calling plays and brings in a proven offensive coordinator who maybe runs a similar system? That's where I think the quarterback's coach is going to fall into. I think what Frost is probably going to look for is an experienced offensive coordinator who's proven, who runs a similar system to this, uh, who knows, Chip Kelly might be available at the end of the year, <laughs> or even, or even Mark Helfrich, for God's sakes, whom Frost coached under. What do you think about this? Um, what if Bob Stoops comes out of retirement to be an <laughs> offensive coordinator? I um, don't see that happening, but it sort of would be fun <laughs> to have that kind of uh, explosive uh, emotional outbursts on the sidelines again. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, and old big game Bobby is good at him. And maybe he just, you know, he's obviously been chilling as an analyst for a while, and maybe he just wants to yeah. dip his toes back in coaching but doesn't want to be the guy, you know? And maybe he could be like a, a mentor for Scott Frost, you know? like Sure kind of coach him up on on some mature like more mature decisions you know hey man like if anybody knows anything about an ego i've got perfect a perfect <laughs> resume for such things um yeah. so <laughs> let's do i mean that's just like a shot in the dark but there there's many many opportunities it's gonna be a fun speculative off the off season for sure or but, at least for the next three weeks it's going to be a lot of speculation that's going to be a lot of fun but bob stoops <laughs> that would certainly be an interesting choice. Uh, but I think he goes with an OC quarterback coach combo is I think what he's going to end up doing mostly so that he can free up a full-time assistant position to get a full-time special teams coach. That's um, what I think is going to happen. I think what, uh, what would benefit Frost the most is bringing in an offensive coordinator that takes all of the play calling, but yep. – at the same time, is somebody that Scott Frost respects and somebody that Scott Frost trusts, and yep. maybe has a has a good uh, like has good chemistry with them. Where maybe Frost gets up on the headset and says, "Hey, boss, I'm thinking, well, I'm thinking, I'm seeing something right now. What do you think about this?" And offensive coordinator goes, "You know what? That's kind of a good. That's a good idea. Like let's let's let's." Let's start playing around with the beakers here. And um, I I think that would benefit Frost a lot and take a lot of pressure on his shoulders, but still give him the kind of like uh, – give him the freedom – or not give him the free – yeah, give him the freedom to be a coach, but also still give him a little bit of room to to kind of pick his own brain apart and, and learn yeah. some things. But – Well, yeah, one of the things that uh... – Albert's talked about, if I recall this morning, one of the things in his statement was how he'd spend a lot of time sitting with Frost over the every week over the season and talking about what it means to be a head coach and the CEO style that he probably needs to adopt simply because it is big power five football and he needs to be able to entrust his offense to someone else. Where, yeah, he's kind of got the veto power, but at the same time, uh, he doesn't have to sit there and completely game plan a game 
every week like he does now as an OC. So I could see certainly that proven offensive coordinator coming in who's also really good with quarterbacks. I don't know, does the recruiting profile change for quarterbacks? Do we go away from the mobile quarterbacks so we don't have, you know, one guy that's always banged up middle way through the year, right? Um, you know, maybe a Richard Torres is that type of a quarterback who can get himself out of trouble, but he's not known for breaking ankles in the zone read game, you know? Um, so, but yes, full-time special teams coach, I think is in the future. Don't you? Yeah, I think they have to. I think that's something that probably behind closed doors with Trev Alberts, he's looking at him and saying, Hey, you have 37 unaccounted for points across the <laughs> yeah. season and that is a direct reflection of special teams incompetence or at least yep. lack of coaching um so what are you going to do about that if you don't hire a full-time special teams coach i need to see in writing i need to see your blueprint i need to know with confidence that we can see that number at least cut in half like right. i i mean really you should have almost an 85 to 90 percent accuracy with your with your kicker at any given moment but this yeah. that's just unacceptable especially when we've lost by a combined total mm -hmm. of like 40 something points like those are ball games that we win if we're kicking dang field goals so <laughs> yes sir yeah dude i i would hope so i would hope that somewhere along somewhere in the four guys that they got rid of that they can dedicate one of those guys to be the special teams coach. And I would say my best bet would be that we find a dedicated running back, running, running back coach, uh, a dedicated offensive line coach, but then we have an offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach that mm -hmm. we find. I don't know who that is. Um, well, you've already got Becton still on staff as tight ends coach. So do you give him the wide receivers too? Or do they bring oh, in a specific yeah. wide receiver coach too? I mean, which they'd have the position for it, I think, if my math. No, they wouldn't. So, yeah, the math is interesting how they're going to make that work. Um, but I don't know. Frost is was really good with receivers at Oregon. <laughs> so it's true. And they could find, and maybe if he has a blueprint set up just right, maybe it's special teams coach by committee once again, but maybe yeah. with a lot, a completely different formula is what they need to find. I don't know. I, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this all develops, but I am honestly, dude, I'm freaking stoked to see it. Um, yeah, I am too. I'm really curious to see what he, where, which way he goes, what direction he goes, and if the offensive philosophy seems gets stays similar. Or if we're going to see what they we thought we were going to see at the beginning of the year, which was more of an emphasis on the run. Yeah, dude. The only thing that I'm hoping for is that my 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 dream would be that next year we have to worry about defense instead of offense, like. I I have yeah. the I have the trust and confidence to know that Shenander and, and company are are all doing what they need to do um, to develop these guys that are falling right behind some absolutely cornerstone players on our defense that are going to be leaving. Um, I know there's guys that are ready to go right behind them, but 
Yeah. I would feel absolutely stoked if next year we see a completely different offense um, that that has a fighting spirit. And God, yep. dude, we got to get rid of this unclutch choke mentality. Yep. It's got to go. And I, I don't know if yep. that means Martinez needs to go with him. Um, go with that. Like, does Martinez come back? I don't know. Um, yeah, but it de- it also depends on how much confidence he has in the guys in front of him. It's pretty That's easy true. to short arm a lot of throws when people are falling around your feet all day long. So, yep. Um, but uh, yeah. So as far as well, speaking of Martinez, do you think Frost is the guy that's going to coach the quarterbacks for the rest of the year? I think I, he probably does. I think he does, and I think that there's going to be, um, oh, dude. I don't know with them cleaning house with with four guys going, especially the offensive coordinator. What in the hell? <laughs> uh, who in the hell? Like what? Are they just chalking off the rest of this season in the sense of like, well, obviously we're going to try and go win games, but it's going to be a crapshoot. Um, yeah. Like, I, uh, I'm scratching my head with this because I don't know what these two games are going to look well, like. But I have no doubt he'll call all the plays still, Frost, and then I think he's just going to work directly with the quarterbacks for the most part, and he'll probably jump around with the wide receivers since he did that. At Oregon, I don't know, maybe Matt Davison will help out with that since he was one at NU when Frost was here. Um, it's all, For me, it's O-line that I'm concerned about for the rest of the year. Who's going to come in and uh, put that headset on and get those guys playing at a higher level? Uh, that'll be curious for me to see what happens there. So, well, I don't think there's really a whole lot more to discuss about everything that's gone on in Lincoln and at south stadium at this point we've kind of got it all we've got it all worked out i mean if they just listen to us right they wouldn't be in this freaking predicament in the first place but you know absolutely i mean maybe the best maybe the best uh the best uh medicine for their for their woes are guys who know nothing about football so they're really exactly (laughs) so they're really getting like a robust you know set of opinions (laughs) <laughs> we're the best yeah that's right we're the two best podcast ad's out there <laughs> absolutely so um before we move on to the osu game let's uh take a look at how the plus minus worked out for purdue uh my number was plus minus eight tackles for jojo doman the results were he had 13 total tackles i took the plus so i got a point and then uh, yours was 420 yards of total offense. Nebraska missed it by 21. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> but I did take the minus, so I still got another point. So you didn't get any points that week. I got two, so I'm up nine to five. And uh, yeah, that's about the only positive I can say I took out of the Purdue game. Yep. So... I guess we should move on to the slaughter that never happened in uh, Memorial Stadium on Saturday. Yeah, let's go into it. So Nebraska did what Nebraska has done all year when they've come up against a top 10 team or at least a team that was ranked and weren't expected to beat. Nebraska hung in there, played their guts out on defense, on defense. Offense, I'm not exactly sure what they were trying to accomplish, except not get Adrian Martinez killed. Um, And even then, they didn't succeed very often. (laughs) 
But uh, if I could just throw in a few thoughts that just occurred to me as I was watching the game, it just, as we texted each other earlier in the week, there were just way too many missed opportunities in the red zone. They went, what, four trips? And they came out with 10 points. Uh, Yet again, I think they've had a total of like 44 or 46 trips to the red zone this year. And they've converted on... 12% or some crazy stupid number. It's just, it's insane how bad we've been in the, in the red zone. Um, and then officiating for me was inconsistent, at least on a couple of pass interference calls you had. Was it Q got caught with a pull of the Jersey or dismuke? One of the two pulled somebody's Jersey a little bit and they got him for PI. Uh, and then Omar Manning gets totally mugged in that one drive late in the fourth quarter and uh, they don't throw a flag, and it literally kills the drive toward the end of the game. So it was inconsistent. But I still say, and I will always say, until Nebraska's playing games and they've got a number, a ranking next to their name again, they're probably not going to get a whole lot of help from the referees. Um, and then Martinez's long TD pass to Toure in the second quarter was absolutely perfect. And then his overthrow on a short pass to Falk in a red zone in the fourth quarter was sickeningly familiar. Uh, the black shirts were great against the run. I think they held him to 90 yards, something like that. Yeah. Under 100. And then they held uh, Ohio State to around half their average of point total with only three field goals being the only scoring they allowed in the second half. Now, I remember in our season preview episode, I predicted yet a 9-3 and three season, mainly because I believed in the defense in the Super seniors that were coming back and quite frankly everything i've seen this year this was a nine and three defense too bad the offense couldn't match them so you got any overall thoughts on the game before we get into the numbers yeah i would say that the officiating crew um honestly honestly i didn't find it all that egregious um there were some things that were missed obviously but they were they weren't afraid to throw the yellow flag out of their pocket when Ohio State yep. was doing something wrong, unless of course it was on like a really big play. Um, it was just one of those like, all right, whatever. We're not gonna we're not gonna get the side of the zebras, but as long as we play clean and we play consistent, um, there's really nothing that they can do. Um, yeah, I would say that the biggest thing that I was annoyed with was watching Ben Stilley getting held. Uh, for ninety percent of the game, there were so yep. many, so many dropbacks that Stroud was in, and you just saw an arm wrapped around Stilly's shoulder the whole time. Like it just like seemed like every play Stilly was getting past the he had the edge and he was getting held. But um, yeah, dude, the red zone, the red zone is just the most mind-boggling statistic in the sense that we are like number two or i think it's like we're in the top like 10 of like teams that get to the red zone but we're like 100 and like 20th or something uh yeah converting it's like one of those anomaly statistics that just like make you bang your head against a desk um yeah, there, we had many opportunities. I think that short throw to Falk that you talked about was like just mm-hmm. one of those. 
it was when I watched the replay, I understood what Martinez was doing. He's trying to get over that defensive end that got his hand up. You know, it, right. if if Martinez threw it any shorter, it would have been a deflected pass. I just, I don't know how you go about getting around those things, but geez, Louise, if he's if he's open in the middle, you got to find a way to sidearm it. Whatever, you know, you think you're Patrick Mahomes, so start acting like him. Um, right. Yeah, dude, this I completely agree. We had a nine and three defense this year. Like I know the year isn't over, but we definitely have a nine and three, ten and two, eight and four, whatever way that the cards lay out. Our defense has just played lights out. I mean, yep. before the game, they spent like thirty minutes talking about Trevion Henderson and how he is just a breakout freshman. Uh I mean, he is a beast. He looks like God, like a yes. A generational running back that, like any team, would just kill to have. Uh, he's right up there as impressive as Kenneth Walker the third looks this year. And once again, you know, I I asked myself, you know, this would have been something I would have said on our our game preview. I would have said, are we gonna do another Kenneth Walker the third? Are we going to be able to stop yeah. Henderson the way we did um, KW three? Um, and we did. We did. I mean, he had, he had, what was it? Uh, 21 carries for 92 yards. So almost 100 yards rushing, but a 4.4 average. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's see, what is his season average? Uh, yeah, his, uh, his season average at the moment is about a 6.3 yards per carry. And we kept him. Uh-huh like well under that. So those are just those things that make me just like, if we even had a halfway decent offense, especially in the red zone, if we're 50% conversion in the red zone, this season is a completely different season. Um, Those one score losses become one score wins. Like Mm -hmm. it's just beyond comprehension at this point. And yeah, man. Like with the the one questionable call that I had was when I think it was after he missed that pass to Falk, and we had to settle for a field goal. I, like, just go for it on fourth down. Just go for it. Like, you you six points. Like, it we obviously missed the field goal. So I mean, you're getting within three at that point. But what do you what do you think? I mean, you still got to get a touchdown either way. You either get a right. field goal again, and you tie it. Do you want to go into overtime or do you want to win the game? Um, so that was one of those questionable calls. I mean, it's coin flip. Like, what do you, what can you expect from our offensive decisions, really? But yeah, man, it's it was a it was one of those games that looked a lot like Oklahoma. Like we had yeah. so many opportunities to win, and dude, I agree. I thought it was going to be a blowout. I legitimately yep. thought we were probably gonna we were probably gonna show some fight in the first half, maybe a little bit of a third quarter like push, but then I I just thought that the talent of Ohio State was just gonna pull away. And yeah. how close are we from being like a top four team in the Big Ten? Well, apparently pretty damn close if if our defense is is basically shutting down every team that we've been playing. And if yep. our offense could meet that energy, we're right up there with the big boys. So 
that's just kind of my overall take of the game and just the season and the existential like pain that I'm in in regard <laughs> to everything. Uh, yeah. You know, this was the closest we've come to beating Ohio State since Frost's been here. I mean, we came close the first year he was here up in Columbus. I think we lost by one score. <laughs> yeah. Go figure. Five and then points. we got our doors blown off in 2019 and 2020, though we gave them a game in the first half in 2020. And of course it was turnovers returned for touchdowns that ended up uh, blowing that game open. This time we didn't really do that. Um, so in fact, we generated a couple of turnovers. I didn't expect us to generate. And uh, I think both of them ended up at the other end of the field and ended up in missed field goals. So, cause I missed the first interception that Jojo got. Unfortunately, I was still sleeping. <laughs> so, uh, I didn't actually start watching the game till there was about five minutes left in the first quarter, but, uh, overall the team was pretty good. I mean, OU did what, or OSU did what they were going to do on defense. They pretty much shut us down a lot. Uh, gave up a couple big plays, which I thought that was possible because their safeties were pretty young. Um, Ture, good night. That dude is just money. I wish we had him for another year. Um, but Oklahoma or Oklahoma State, good lord, good old Rona brain fog, folks. Uh, Ohio State had 495 yards of total offense, with 405 of that coming by the pass, 90 rushing yards, and then 25 total first downs. Nebraska had 30, 361 yards of total offense, 248 by pass, 113 on the ground with 18 total first downs. So it wasn't god-awful, but it wasn't great. Um, penalties, Oklahoma, or Ohio State had 8 for 65. Nebraska had 8 for 60. And that's something I've noticed over the last four or five weeks that has actually improved with Nebraska. There's been a few games there where they only had like three penalties. So uh, they've gotten better. Definitely, definitely gotten better. Time of possession again favored Ohio State. 33 minutes, 52 seconds to Nebraska's 26 minutes and 8 seconds. Uh, so there's the tail of the tape. That's why we lost. They owned the ball a lot longer, gained a lot more yards. And hey, when they got to the red zone, they generally scored. So might have only been field goals, but at least they have a guy that can make them. <laughs> so... Yeah, I would say the uh, outstanding performance that proved itself for Ohio State, the cornerstone, I've used that term I think a few times now, but the cornerstone of, of uh, Ohio State's offense was Jackson Smith Najig, uh, Najigba. Um, yeah, something like that. Yep, 240 yards receiving or something like that. That dude was crazy. Yeah, he was he was all over the field. He was the guy that I'm sure Stroud was looking for the entire game, which tells me that we were causing an immense amount of pressure on him if he was just staying very linear with his decision making. And I think he kind of uh, got foot and mouth syndrome, where I guess he was uh, complaining about having to be mobile, and he wants to just sit in the pocket and throw a ball. And he doesn't like that he has to get out of the Move pocket and run. Yeah, but I mean, if you look at Smith and Jigba's uh, like stats, I mean, this was by far his most outstanding performance. Uh, there's only two games this entire year where he's had over 100 yards of receiving. And mm -hmm. one of them came in the loss to Oregon, and the other one was a win against Maryland. 
Um, so yeah, yeah, 240 yards of receiving with 15 receptions with an average of 16 yards of reception. I mean, yeah, he was all over the place and he just looked like NFL caliber and yeah. he's only a sophomore. That's what's crazy. Mm-hmm. He's going to be, a, he's going to be something, a force to be reckoned with. And, but I'm glad that we kept uh, Chris Olave. Chris Olave was pretty much locked down for most of the game. Um, and then they had a, like, who is the guy that they Garrett had? Garrett Wilson. Yeah. He was out. He was out. Their number one receiver was out. So priority was Olave. What we didn't realize was that there wasn't going to be another guy that was going to go for 240. So. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but. So it just, yeah, that was, uh, that was something else watching that guy play. It was pretty impressive. Um, those moves he put on to score that 75 yarder right there Ugh. in the second quarter those moves were crazy sick made just so made smooth the tackler look stupid yeah it was it was uh real smooth you, he reminded you know, me a lot of olave because Olave's smooth kind of like that too do you know who uh i think on our team is gonna look like a jackson smith and jigba is probably gonna be xavier Betts because of the way that smith and jigba like strides it's just so smooth you don't yep. realize how fast he's going because he just has like a, just a very smooth stride. Yeah. Um, so I really hope that our wide receiving core can look at that game and be like, hmm, what on film were they doing that made them so successful? And what, what little finesse yep. moves do I need to start practicing in order to get open and God willing that our quarterback actually sees us? Um but yeah, man, it was it was crazy. But uh, what do you say we uh, we move over to players of the game? If you don't have anything else to add, nah, I'm pretty good. Um, the only thing I'd add at this point is probably another cough. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, you let's sound see miserable, players. dude. <laughs> yeah, it's actually I feel really good. That's what's weird is I actually feel really good. It's just this cough is probably not going to go away for a while. Um, Players of the game, yeah. Offense, we both have the same guy in Samori Toure. Four receptions, 150 yards, a touchdown. The long one was that 72-yard TD. Uh, he really he really showed out after catching a lot of criticism, including from me, um, over the last few weeks, especially since the beginning of the Big Ten. Other than what he did against Northwestern, he's really been almost non-existent against the big boys. Um, he really broke out against that Ohio State defense, so it was really good to see. Hopefully that's enough that he's put on film that it grabs some scouts' attention come draft day. I sure hope so, because, I mean, in retrospect to Minnesota and Purdue specifically, um, he was he was finding ways to get open. Martinez just wasn't able to go through his Find progressions. Him. And find him open. So I don't think it's 100, 100% his fault. But at the same time, like, what can you do? It's Big Ten play. You know, like, it's it's a it's a meat grinder. You got to – Yep. You just got to kind of get lucky sometimes. And when the ball comes your way, you better be damn ready to, to grab yeah. it. So, but yeah, four receptions for 150 yards. I think that's really been the story of Samari Torre this year is – he doesn't really get very many receptions. There's like 
I think this is probably the game where he's had the most receptions, if I'm not wrong. Um, I'll have to, yeah. let's see. Let me see. Let me look this up. Give me just a second here um, and figure this out. Because I really think that, yeah, for the majority of his games, he's just been big plays. Nothing but big plays. Um, yeah, it looks like the only game that he... The only two games where he had more receptions was Michigan State, where he had five for 42 yards, and then he mm-hmm. had eight for 133 yards against Fordham. But otherwise, for the rest of the season, it's mm-hmm. just been one, two, three. Um, right. Pretty pretty basic stuff, but I think he's an explosive player. And goodness gracious, if if we yeah if we had him for one more year. Oh, geez. Just like, I feel like Samari Torre, I think I said this in in earlier episodes, probably after the Northwestern game or maybe after the Fordham game. I I don't remember which one it was, but I was like, he reminds me of Stanley Morgan. Uh, Just Mm -hmm. quick, son of a gun, finds a way to get open. Um, The only difference is that Martinez isn't throwing the ball to him friggin' 15 times a game. Um, Right. So maybe we just haven't seen that kind of jump up and get it uh resume i guess but yeah i hope he finds a i hope he finds a, his way on an nfl draft that would be mm-hmm. that'd be awesome but um yep yeah and it looks like for our uh defensive player of the game we both have the same guy i think it's pretty pretty safe to say that the, <laughs> the offensive player of the game and the defensive player of the game is pretty obvious. Um, what do you say? You you actually uh, go with it since you wrote down the stats. I'll give you the. It's uh, yeah, it's JoJo again uh, with nine tackles, six of them solo, one tackle for loss, two passes broken up, as well as one quarterback hurry with an injury. He could have not played. He had the option of not playing, and he chose to play. Talk about being a warrior. Um, God bless him. Love that kid. And I really hope, I really hope he doesn't opt out for the next two games, even though that's kind of the scuttlebutt that's going around a little bit. Uh, I hope he gets healed up and decides he wants to play for two more, put a little bit more film out there for scouts to see. Uh, Because my goodness, what an explosive player. When he's diagnosed to play, he's about as sure a tackle as there is out there. So yeah, Jojo Doman, for sure. Yeah, he looked... He just looked so good. He was all over the field. Um, just an incredibly physical player. Like, if he's injured and he's and he's putting out performances like that, that just has got to bode well with an NFL scout looking at it and and really realizing like, oh my gosh, this dude's hurt, and he is a highlight of the defense. Like, I can't imagine what kind of ceiling, what kind of ceiling this kid has going for him in regard to that. I mean, there was a couple other um, standout players with, with some fairly similar stats, you know, Luke, uh, Luke Reimer um, continues to be just an absolute beast. Um, Oh wait, no, Luke Reimer. No, Luke Reimer. He, he wasn't really, he wasn't even, I'm so confused. I thought I saw Luke Reimer, but, I'm looking at this. Who in the world is Weston Ryman? (laughs) 
Holy cow. Don't know. Okay, so Weston, maybe they, maybe uh, ESPN app messed it up. I don't know. I'm going to guess that that's what they did because I don't think, I don't think that freshman Weston Ryman from Weeping Water, <laughs> Nebraska got a uh, 10, 10 tackles, tackles and six solo. Don't so. I, I don't think so. I was like, I had to question myself there for a second. No offense to you, Weston. If you are listening to our podcast right now, I deeply apologize <laughs> for any assumption that you are not as good as Luke Reimer. But the proof is in the pudding. Um, Luke Reimer is a beast. Uh, and yeah, uh, Mosai Newsom, he had a great game. But yeah, JoJo Doman just stood out hands down that game. So props to the kid. Yeah, I hope he stays for the rest of the season selfishly, but at the same time, I give him a round of applause if he decides to sit out the rest of these games and yep. get prepared for the NFL. <laughs> yep, I couldn't agree more. So that pretty much wraps up the Ohio State game. And um, yeah, there's really not a whole lot left to do except update y'all on where we're at on our six-pack picks of the week. Uh, after week nine, Scott went four and two. I went two and four, so he's now 16 and eight. I'm now 14 and 10. We are not going to pick any games for this week. We're going to take a break from that simply because, well, I don't want to hack into the mic for another half hour while we pick games. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> hey, let's just take a take a break from it and uh, kind of regroup. We do plan to do another recording coming up here uh, next week, probably next Sunday morning or evening, afternoon, whatever day, it, whatever time of the day we usually do this. And we will preview Wisconsin. And hopefully we'll have a little bit more news on what kind of assistance we've got in the fold to help Scott Frost uh, develop those game plans and whatnot. So, um, but before we go, I think we've got a review on uh, Apple Podcasts. I don't have any new ones on Podcast Addicts, so why don't you go ahead with that one that you've got there? Yeah, so we've got a review here that came in. It's a five-star review. It is a disclaimer. It's biased. Very biased comes from a uh, blood relative, um, comes from the handle of A. McCone. Um, I'll, let, I'll let whomever uh, listening to this podcast who uh, it knows us, they'll probably know who this is from. And she gives us, uh, I'm assuming it's she, uh, gives us a, uh, a wonderfully written podcast review it says i'm 100 biased as the hosts are my dad and baby brother um but best podcast out there winky face this podcast makes me feel connected to them being a military spouse i am over 1400 miles away from them uh there you go that one's for you um most <laughs> most Saturdays were spent at my grandparents' house watching the games. Uh, obviously, I mean, like, sorry to cut off, but we had just talked about that at the beginning of the yep. episode, dedicating it to grandma. If you can't tell, it's probably the truth. Um, <laughs> I don't get to be a part of that anymore, and it's rough. The following days would include my dad and my brother talking about the game. Um, I get to still feel a part of their conversations, even though I'm all the way over on the East Coast. The quote-unquote break room talk, as they call it, um, <laughs> it was just normal in my family. 
If Dad or Scott could get someone to talk Husker football, they would talk for hours discussing it all. Uh, this podcast gives me nostalgia to that time, and again, I feel connected to them through it. I love football. I don't understand it all all the time, but I but have a pretty dang good grasp on it for being a girly hippie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy watching football on Saturdays and the environment of it all. This podcast is mm. giving me an even bigger desire to watch games, and I enjoy them breaking down the games, Nebraska and other games to include. Keep up the great work, y'all. Love your favorite daughter and sister. So. <laughs> Thank you, baby girl. That is my sister. Um, she gave us yep. a great review. Uh, we do appreciate it, regardless of who it comes from, family mem- family members, friends, whomever. Uh, it helps us get noticed. Um, might be a Absolutely. little bit cheating to get reviews from family members, but I mean... If you have any startup company, sometimes the best people to sell your product to are those you know best. So, and if they like it, they like it. If you make dang good lemonade and you start selling it and your family loves That's it, right. well, <laughs> it's either they're it's either they're full of crap or they actually like your lemonade. So, I guess I'll just keep squeezing lemons. That's right. That's absolutely right. Well, thanks again, Amber, for that review. Thank you, Amber. We really appreciate we it. We really, really appreciate it. And if you would like to leave us any kind of reviews, we would certainly appreciate it. As Scott said, it helps us get noticed. We're on all the major podcast platforms. So any of them that has a review and rating section, please use it. Podcast Addict does. I know Apple Podcasts does. I haven't found for sure any other apps that do, but those two do for sure. Uh, make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you visit our website at genredpod.com to listen to the show in your browser or download it right there off of your uh, browser. We also have uh, social media. Facebook.com slash genredpod is where you can play the plus minus game, which we will have a new one for the Wisconsin game next week on next week's show. Uh, And then also you can find us at genredpod on Twitter. Our YouTube channel is Generation Red Live. Make sure you subscribe. Ring that bell. I know there's no videos yet, but eventually there will be a live stream on there starting at the beginning of the off season called the Big Red Roundtable, where we will hang out with other Husker fans discussing the news of the day about Husker football. And that'll happen once a month up through the end of fall camp and then going into the season. We will start podcasting every week. So uh, if you'd like to reach us, send us any comments, suggestions, or sign up to be a part of the Big Red Roundtable, you can email us your name at genrpodcast at gmail.com. Anyway, that pretty much wraps up this show. We really appreciate y'all listening. And until next time, he's Scott, I'm Ken, together we're Generation Red, and we're always going to remind you that Iowa's corn... Totally sucks, and seems the team's starting to now, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and, uh, yeah, go go Big Red. There's no place like Nebraska. (laughs) Yeah, let's win some games here soon. That'd be great. Yeah, wouldn't it, though? Especially Iowa. This podcast is not associated in any official capacity with the University of Nebraska or the Cornhusker football team. All opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts alone and are intended for entertainment purposes only. 
Anyway, thanks so much for listening. Stay sweet and salty and go Big Red. 